Well, we're studying renewing the mind, and the reason we're looking at that is because the Bible tells us in Romans chapter 12 that we're transformed by the process of renewing our mind, changing how we think. And we saw in the very beginning, we went through a number of scriptures that showed us what the Word of God says God has done for us, what He's literally put in us. The kingdom of God, understand, if, if you're in Christ, the kingdom of God is within you. The kingdom of God, the nature of God is in you. And the, the blessings of God, the wisdom of God, the grace of God, the peace of God, all of these He has given you. You're not going to get them when you get to heaven. There's more of it there, but it's already been deposited in you. And then we've been looking at, yeah, but why aren't we living more of that? Why aren't we experiencing that overriding peace? The Bible talks about a peace that passes understanding. That means no matter what the circumstances are going on, no matter whether things look up to you or down to you, whether you just lost your job or you just got promoted to the president of the company, you're going to be the same because the peace of God doesn't come from the circumstances. It comes from the nature of God on the inside. The love of God is inside of us. That's not a human love because there are limits to our human love. Human love is basically selfish. It's I'll love you because you're lovable. I'll love you because I'm getting something back out of it. But God's also put His love, Romans 5, 5. The love of God has been shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. And so God's love for other people has been put in us and that love goes far beyond human love. That's a love that is able to love those that are unlovely, including us. He's loved us and we are not lovable in God's sight but He has loved us anyway because His nature is love and God has put His nature in us. We are to be more than conquerors through Christ who loves us. So there are all kinds of promises we went down through and then we took an honest look at our lives and said, how much of that are we experiencing? And then we saw Romans 12 too is all about that because it says that process of taking what's on the inside and bringing it to the reality in our life is that comes about by renewing our mind, changing how we think. And so we're going through and we've been studying what that, what, how our mind works, that our mind works in patterns of thoughts. And those patterns, your mind will try to form into some meaning because our mind is designed in such a way as to try to create meaning out of everything we see. And we use the example of the connect the dots. And I even use a very simple one we put up on the screen here. And, and, what our, and it's just becoming even more clear to me since I taught that as I see examples in my life, I see examples in other people that I talk to, how that you just take those thought processes apart and you can see why you're reacting the way you're reacting. And so then those, those thoughts become images or pictures in our mind and that's what creates the emotion. And if those pictures stay there long enough, they become a stronghold. And so what we're learning is the things that have controlled us, that, that the fears that have controlled us and the, and the tendencies that have controlled us and the habits that have controlled us are, are, are embedded and are rooted in these, these strongholds that have been established in our mind through growing up and through our early process and it may even come from church. But what we're learning is you can't, take those, you can't erase those strongholds by just reaching inside your mind and just pushing delete wouldn't that be nice? All deleted, it's all gone. Instead, what you've got to do is you've got to replace them with new strongholds. And so the way you get rid of an old stronghold is you stop feeding it and you start establishing a new stronghold. But the way you build a new stronghold is to create a new image. And the way you create a new image is to plant new thoughts. And what we're, the, the process of renewing our mind is going to be the process of learning how to do that. But before we get into that, there's some basic principles about this process that we're establishing, and I call them keys to renewing your mind. Keys to renewing your mind. So we're going to see if we can get them up on the board again. 
Ah, the, blue, the green dot showed up. That means we can work. All right, keys to renewing the mind. And the first one we've looked at is you've got to decide that the Word of God is the authority in your life. Not a authority, not it has some influence, but it rules in your mind. So that when, you're, when your body tells you one thing, when your emotions tell you another thing, and the Word of God tells you a third thing, the Word of God is what's going to decide. So when, you don't, when that person just has you so irritated, I mean, they just offended you, they ripped you in pieces publicly all over Facebook, they've said things about you that aren't true, and you want to get back at them, and the Word of God says, forgive them and pray for them, and that's the last thing you feel like doing. In fact, you know you're right, you're entitled to blast them, and you may be in everybody else's mind, but the Word of God says, forgive and to pray for those that despitefully use you. You've got to decide which one has the authority in your life. And so the more the Word of God has an authority in your life, the more the Word of God will be able to, to, to use by you to, to, to renew your mind. And, and that's the Word of God is what we're going to use for this process. So if that Word has very little authority to you, it's going to have very little power in the process of renewing your mind. All those old thoughts are still going to have a greater authority in your mind. And then we looked at this revolutionary concept of getting control of your mind. And even when I mentioned this last week, some of you gasped. Because the idea that you can control your mind, now some of us, we have our minds too much under control. Our mind, well, our minds control us too much. But you can control your mind. And I told you the story of why this is so important when I told you the story when we, we were first saved and I'm trying to learn what it is to have our family, our household in order in God's mind. And the Lord dealt with me about our little dog, Mandy. And I said, why are you dealing with me about a dog? I mean, you know, maybe we need to get our finances in order. Maybe we need to physically get our house in order. He says, you can't get anything in order if the lowest in your families is out of control because it sets an atmosphere. When you've got a church where kids are running all over the place and there's chaos, that sets an atmosphere. That doesn't mean everything needs to be afraid and sitting like this. That creates a different atmosphere. But when there are things out of control, it changes the atmosphere spiritually as well as in the natural. And so I had to get the dog under control. And I taught you through the story last week of, of Mandy took me to obedience school. Because <laughs> I discovered in the first session, it wasn't to teach the dog obedience. It was to teach me discipline so that I could discipline the dog. Because you can't discipline something you don't have discipline over when you're not disciplined yourself. So we began to look at this. So we've started this process. We're going to finish this today. This is very important. There are other subtitles under this. And the first thing you need to see is that you can control your mind no matter how far out of control it seems to you. And I told you the story of I talked to the, 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 the dog trainer when we were taking little Mandy, because Mandy was a little miniature poodle. And when I took the first day uh, I went up to the, because he's teaching us these principles, and I went up to the, the head guy, and I said, you know, my father-in-law uh, has, a, has a full-size poodle, and this is the baby of the family. This dog replaced his two daughters when they got married, because uh, Anita's sister got married the year after we got married, so within one whole year, basically, his two, their two children were gone, so he got a dog to replace them, and he babied that dog fed the dog whatever the dog wanted and, you know, the dog could do whatever he wanted and then he wondered why there was chaos. And so I was just asking, and this dog's nine years old, you know, I've heard this story, you can't teach an old dog new tricks. He says, you can teach any dog anything, it's just the older they are, the longer they've been out of control, the more work it requires. But you can teach an old dog new tricks. You can control an old mind. 
You can get control of your mind no matter how far it's out of control, no matter how long it's out of control. It just requires more effort and more determination. And that's what we're going to talk about next in this process. So, you've got to believe that you can do it, that it can possible. Because the Word of God is anointed to do this. This is part of why the Word of God has been given to us. Getting control of your mind, renewing your mind is a discipline. To train it is a discipline. It takes work. And to make it work, uh, to make it work, it does, it, because, wait, back up a second, let me give you the next principle. Okay. It takes discipline. And discipline, we were talking about this last time. Discipline means you're making something do what it doesn't want to do and doesn't think it can do. And I ended last time, I believe, by talking about basic training in the military. <clears throat> basic training in the military, they make you get up when you don't think you can get up. They make you clean things you don't think you can clean. And they make you eat things you don't think you can eat. And they, make, they cut your hair that you don't ever want to have cut. And they make you, basically, they're telling you, you can do things you don't think you can do, and you don't have to do things you think are absolutely necessary. There are so many things in our life we think we absolutely have to have that we really don't have to have. All you need to go is on a mission trip to a third world country and find out how little they have, and they're happier than we are, and they have far little. And it really wakes you up to examine how much do I really absolutely need. So discipline is the process of training to make your body do or make your mind do what it needs to do and what it doesn't want to do. So that's what discipline is and that's what this process of renewing your mind will require you to do. There's no shortcut. There's no easy answer. It's not a pill you can take. It's not where at the end of this course we're going to line you all up and I'm going to lay hands on you and your minds are going to be renewed. If we could do that, I'd be a millionaire. But it's work. It's work. The things I'm teaching you are things God taught me to renew my mind, to overcome some strongholds in my mind, and I'm still having to work at some of them. And then what happens is I kind of get, it gets easier and I coast a little bit, and then it gets harder again, and I got to pick up and redetermine again to do this process again. It's a lifelong process. We mentioned that to you a little while ago. So it's, it requires, it's a discipline. And for some of you, you are disciplined, so it will be easier to do that. Some of you have to discipline yourself to discipline yourself. But you've got to start somewhere. You've got to start somewhere. One of the ways I started doing this was noticing, this was back when I was practicing law, and I had to be at work like at 7.30, and the office is an hour away from my home. So I was getting up at 5 o'clock in the morning. I said, I'm going to get up at 5 o'clock, and I'm going to go down into my office in the basement, and I'm going to read my Bible for 45 minutes or whatever time it was. And first of all, when the alarm would go off, my body would immediately tell me, if you get up now, you'll die. Well, I didn't buy that because I knew I wouldn't die. So then it would go into the fall, next fallback argument. Look, you've got a lot, you've got a lot of, of, of you've got clients to meet today. You've got to be in court. You've got to be able to think clearly. And if you get up now, you're going to be worn out by 11 o'clock and you won't think clearly. That was the second lie. Well, I found when I made myself get up out of bed because my body's telling me you're not going to think clearly. You're gonna, you know, I go downstairs and I'd sit in my, in, my, in my chair there and start reading my Bible, and the next thing you know, my mind's on everything else but this Bible. Suddenly this mind that my body was telling me was going to go to sleep is very active on everything else 
but reading what I'm there to read. You ever have that experience? You read it, and you go through a paragraph, and you're I have no idea what I just read. <laughs> Am I the only one? You just go down, it's like, I have no clue what I just read. So now I got a choice. If all I'm doing is to sit in the chair so I can say I read my Bible, I'll just keep on reading. So I'll look and put in my 20 minutes or whatever time I've determined to do at the end. Well, follow my Bible up. I read my Bible. I feel good about myself. I'll go, but I get anything out of it. Because my mind is wandering all over the place. You know why? It doesn't want to read the Word. Because the Word may require it to do things it doesn't want to do. So my mind, which, which my body was telling me was going to go to sleep, is now super active on anything else. When I come in here to pray during the day, I find more things wrong in here than any other time. I find lit on a carpet, I find something, a chair out of line over here, because I'm trying to focus on, in here and pray, and my mind is running on every possible thing I can do. So I have to learn to discipline. So here's what I learned to do. Uh, and you, and this, it's, it, this is going to be the next point. It starts with a decision. I sit down and I said, all right, here we're going to, I talk to my mind. It says, you're going to pay attention. And so as my mind would start to wander, I would get this, I would pull my mind back. I would make my mind come back here. And I said, we're going to sit here until you read these verses and understand what they say. And the longer you get distracted, the longer we're going to sit here. But we're going to sit here. It's like my mother with the lima beans. Remember the story? When I was a little boy... I, I knew lima beans were of the devil. And the reason that, that the devil created them was to gag me to death. Because I just look at and where I grew up, they produced, there's lima beans and then there's Jersey lima beans, which are huge, right? That's what I had to eat. And she'd put two on them on a plate and they would look back at me. And she said, you're sitting here until you eat those. Well, there was a test of will going on because I'm going to sit there until I realize she meant what she said. And all I got to do is gag those things down and then I can go play or whatever else I was going to do. But until then, I'm going to sit there because she was more determined than I was. By the way, I learned to eat lima beans and I love them. They're one of my favorite foods now. I discovered they weren't so bad. Once I changed my mind, once I renewed my mind to lima beans. Even Brussels sprouts. I learned to eat Brussels sprouts and like them. So, how did I get off on all that? It was Pastor Ray's fault. That's what it is. Lima beans, that's what did it. But it took, it's that determination. And you've got to do that. You've got to be determined. And I sat there and I said, and I ta- I said and we're going to sit here as long as it takes until you read that. And you know, once my mind realized that's what I meant, it paid attention and I did it. But it takes that kind of determination. You've got to get tough with it. You cannot let your feelings rule you or you'll never renew your mind. Now, it happens. The other thing is you have to decide to get your mind under control at all costs. This is all a preparation for something. Because without these principles, we'll do it half-heartedly. And it won't work. It may work for a little while, but it won't last. It's like dieting. Most people can diet for a little while, 
but eventually they go back to their old habits because they've not established a lifestyle. Because to establish a lifestyle, you have to keep doing it for at least 21 days is what I've read. To establish a mental habit. But it, take, it starts with a decision. And we'll talk about this at the end. We're going to talk about, what it, we're going to talk about the pr- certain principles of change. Because renewing your mind is the process of changing. And if you don't understand those principles of change, you can have all this information, but it won't work. You'll just have a notebook full of information. But it starts with a decision to get your mind under control at all cost. A decision to get your mind under control at all cost. Now, I've added something here I've never taught before because it's something I've read recently that's really struck me. And I want to, this is important to understand yourself because we're talking about making a decision to do something. There's a difference between wanting to do something and willing to do it. I'm going to say that again. There's a difference between wishing something or wanting something and willing to do it. I don't mean being willing, I mean exercising your will to do it. There's a difference between wanting to do something, so if you just want to lose weight, or you just want to renew your mind, it's not going to happen. You have to will to do it. And here's here's the difference. Wishing or wanting is nothing more than a vague desire to have something or to be like someone. And so you, 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 know, you, you, look, at, you look in the mirror and you see, mm, these pants shrunk. You know? Or you see you know, a little place here where you didn't have it last year and, and you, you want to lose that. Or you see somebody, you know, that you haven't seen for three or four years and they've lost 35 pounds. I don't know why I'm on that tonight. And they've lost weight. And you say, oh, I wish I could be like that. Well, that's not willing to do it. That's wishing to do it. And here's the difference. Wishing is a vague desire to have something. I wish I, wish I, had, I, I, wish I had a new car. I wish we had a new house. Or, or seeing someone that, that you admire and say, Boy, I wish I was like that. But you'll never get there. I remember hearing a, a famous uh, NFL quarterback. I've forgotten which one it was. It was one, it's one from maybe 10, 15 years ago. But he'd won Super Bowls and things like that. And he said, I realize that every Sunday, while I'm out there on that football field, there is literally at home somewhere laying on a couch, probably tens of hundreds of men that are, would be better at this than I am. The difference is they just want to be. I determined to be. You need to understand this, otherwise you will misunderstand. You, this is why many things in the Word of God don't work for you. Because you read them, you get inspired about them, but you haven't determined to do them. You just want to do them. And I'm talking to me as much as you. Okay. Here's the difference. To will something means you not only desire to have it, but you're prepared to do whatever it costs to get it. Because when you just want something... All you have is the desire, but without regard to what it takes to get it. 
But when you will to do something, when you will to have something, that desire is so strong and you're so motivated, you don't care what the cost is, you're going to do it. The second thing about willing to do something is you will act. When you've willed to do something, you know somebody's will to do it because then they'll take an action. And I'm going I'm to, there's a great example of this in the Bible. Wishing is passive. To will to do something is active. When Paul, when Christ appeared to Paul on the road to Damascus and revealed who he was, Paul's response was, what must I do? When the Peter preached his sermon on the day of Pentecost and it penetrated their hearts, what did the people cry out? What must we do? They didn't say, oh, I feel bad. Oh, I want to repent. Because the word repent doesn't mean feel sorry for. To repent does not mean I feel bad. Repent does not mean I feel convicted. Repent means I've got to change what I'm doing. And that's the difference between wishing to wish something and to will to do it. James 1, 22 and 23. James says, Be ye doers of the word and not hearers only. Will to change, don't just want to. And here's the difference. Because he says, if you are a hearer of the word and not a doer, you deceive yourself. I was meditating on that one day and suddenly I saw how can that be deceiving yourself and here's what I saw. Because when you hear the word it impresses you, it touches you, it inspires you. You see something in that word you want to be or you want to have. You see a change that you realize, oh, I want to make that change because you're inspired by the preaching of the Word or the reading of the Word and it inspires you because that's part of what the Word does. Preaching will do that. Reading the Word will do that. The Spirit of God touches something in your heart. Oh, I need to change that. I want to change that. But if I just read that Word and I just get inspired by that Word but I don't determine to do what it says... I walk away from this word thinking that that inspired is the same thing as change. I'm going to say that again because this is very, very important. Because if I read the word or I hear something and it moves me and I'm inspired by that, oh, I want that in my life. I want, I want to be obedient in my life. I want to be a worshiper. I want to be, you know, I want to love people that way. We see that and it touches our hearts. That's wishing or wanting it. Because I see it in here. I want to be like Christ. I want to be like that. I want to be like Paul who's steadfast so that in the hour of suffering in the Philippian jail at midnight, he's singing praises to God, not posting to Facebook, look at the terrible place I'm in. Here's the deception. Because if I just read this and it just moves me, I walk away thinking that emotion is enough. Because I feel a little better. Because the fact that I now feel moved by something, convicted by something, inspired by something, something's happened in me, and the deception is I think that's enough. 
So I walk out of here thinking, oh, I'm changed now. And I go back to my old habits. Because I haven't determined to do anything about it. Can you follow that? And that's where the deception then ends. I deceive myself because I think the emotion of feeling better, feeling conviction, is the same thing as change. And so I let my I rest in how oh, God can work with me. Here's a good example. And I'm talking to me as much as you. I won't ask for a show of hands because I'll have to put mine up. But how many of you ever said something to somebody, oh boy, is the Lord dealing with me about that? You ever think about what you're saying? What I'm saying is I'm disobedient. Because what I'm saying is God's told me to change something and I'm not changing. Why? Because I'm, I'm substituting the fact that He's dealing with me as the same thing as if I've changed. I'm in, this is, this is, I'm in the process of doing this. That means I haven't done it yet. That's salesman talk. For I haven't done it yet. That's a deception. I'm deceiving myself that having, having him deal with me about it is the same thing as if I've changed. And so you need to understand when we're deciding to get control, when we're deciding to make that, 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 that quality decision, commitment, that it's not the same thing as just wanting to change. It requires a willingness, a commitment now to pay whatever the cost is. You probably get tired of me hearing this, but I don't get tired of saying it. Forty-eight years ago, last July, Anita and I stood before our minister, and we we didn't want something, or will we willed something. We willed that no matter what happens, we're going to stay together. If we just wished it, we'd have been gone a long time ago. And that's what happens today. A lot of couples get married, and they 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 have this image of what marriage is going to be. Oh, it's just wonderful. We'll be together forever. Oh, she's the most beautiful thing in the world. He's the most... He's got this wonderful, quirky sense of humor. He's just so much fun to be around. And six months later, that means he's irresponsible. Because <laughs> you understand this principle in marriage, that the very quality that attracted you the most has another side to it. And that will end up being the very quality that annoys you the most when you have to live with it every day day in and day out so those tests will come and if you think marriage is just "Ah, I want her I just want her there are going to be days when I don't want her (laughs) but that has nothing to do with it because we didn't join together because we wanted to we willed and we literally did we determined even though we weren't saved come hell or high water, and they both come, we will not divorce. And I'm telling you, there were a few times that's what held us together. We meant what we said. And that's the kind of thing we're talking about here. This is what the Word of God's talking about here. Okay. All right. So, now, the next principle. This is very important for all of this to work. So you got, we're still talking about getting control of your mind. We're still under number two. It's a discipline. You've got to make your mind do something. So therefore, for that to work, it takes a quality decision of your will. To will to do this, to succeed at this. Not just want to, to will to do it. And here's a a principle that, that revolutionized my thinking. 
It's very important for this. You are not your mind. You are not your mind. Because if you're your mind, how are you going to renew you? You are not your mind. Your mind is merely a tool that God has given to you to carry out His will through your body. That's why we spent that time talking about the different parts of us. You are a spirit, you have a soul, and your mind is part of that soul, and they live in this body. And we talked in the beginning, the way God made you was the part of you that was to rule and dominate was the spirit. That's the part that was made in His likeness. And the soul was given to you to carry out, to figure out and plan how to carry out the will that the Father gave in you, that your spirit discerned, and then your body was the physical agent that carried that will out. On the same order as the pattern of the Father is the one that wills, the Son is the one that's responsible, and the Holy Spirit is the physical agent that carries that out. That's why we went through all of that, so that you could understand, or we could understand together, that your mind is just a tool that God's given to you to, so that you, you, your body can carry out His will. So therefore, you are not your mind. That's important because that you can only con- you can control it now. You've got to begin to see your mind as a part of you that's out of control. It's kind of like having our dog in the house, Mandy. She was out of control. So I was able to get Mandy under control because Mandy wasn't our house. Mandy was something that lived in the house. Well, your mind is like a is you've got to learn to think of your mind as like a spoiled child that's used to doing what it wants to do. It's used to having its head and just running. Wherever it wants to go, chasing after it wants to chase after, and I'm talking about thoughts. Just letting your mind free will. Whatever thoughts come to you, you're just, because you don't, you did, if we don't know we can control it, we just take whatever comes. It's like the UPS man. The door's wide open. Just ring the bell, bring it right in. Don't even bother to stop and ring the bell. Whatever comes along, just bring it. In fact, the neighbor's house, you can bring that in here too. Just whatever thoughts come along, I'm just, I'm, they're just coming in. I don't have to discern them because I didn't know I could. I didn't know I can control this. I didn't know I have to control this. So you are not your mind. So you need to begin to look at your mind if it's out of control, like a spoiled child or a spoiled dog. You've got to learn to put it in its place. Doesn't mean you don't love it. Doesn't mean you don't, but it's a disciplining it. To ma- and that's when I made my mind... I'll give you an example of this. Uh, but years ago when I was doing something else, uh, I had to record my mileage in my car, for my car. Because we owned the car and, and to, be, to be able to deduct certain things, I had to keep a record of mileage. And what that required is I had to keep a little notebook and I had to actually write down starting mile, ending mile, date, where I went. And I had to do this contemporary, I had to do it, when I started and when I stopped, I couldn't do it a week later and go back and try to remember. Because if the IRS ever audited me, they went, did you write this down at that time? I've got to honestly say, yes. So I was sloppy with this. I was just lazy. I wasn't disciplined. And I realized when I started learning some of these things, I've got to begin to discipline my mind to do that. And the, when I determined to do that, my mind got even lazier. And I'll never forget, and this is an important principle, this is why I'm telling you this story. One time we had been doing a Bible study two hours away. And we were living way up north and, and, and on a different snow belt. 
And, and, and we came home in a snowstorm. Anita was with me. We come home. We get home midnight. It was maybe been 1 o'clock. And the snow's piled up. And, you know, at a four-wheel drive, we could just come into the driveway. And it was an old house we lived in, a big old rambling house that we were renting. And I get out tired. I mean, we'd been gone all day now. I'd been, I preached for in this Bible study, drove two hours home. I'm exa- all I can't wait to do is get in that bed. I'm tired. I want to get in that warm bed with the electric blanket on and just curl up and go to sleep. And I get out of the car. We go in the house. We get upstairs, get undressed, get into bed. And I, oh, I had made a decision. In order to discipline myself, I had decided that no matter what happened, whenever I remembered if I forgot to write that in that book, wherever I was, whenever I remembered it, I was going to immediately go and do it to teach my mind to remember it. Because here's a little side principle. When we forget things, it's not because we're forgetful, it's because it wasn't important enough to remember. I've very rarely forgotten to eat a meal. The things that are important to us we remember. Your children remember what they want to remember. They didn't just forget, they chose not to remember it. So it's a kind of laziness or a decision, I don't want to do it, so I'll forget it. And so I made this decision to discipline my mind. Here's what I'm going to... I, I, see, I'm talking to my mind. You need to talk to your mind. Those people think you're out of your mind, but that's okay. You're the one that's renewing it. And I just talked to my mind, you're going to, this is what we're going to do. In order to teach you to do what you're supposed to do, because I know you can do this. Whenever I think of it, I'm going to make you go downstairs, because you've got to go with me. My mind has to go with me. And we're going to do this. I'm getting into bed. Oh, it feels so good. Oh, just about to go to sleep. And I remembered I forgot to write it down. I'll do it tomorrow. But I knew that if, that was my mind talking to me, I knew that if I waited to tomorrow, I'd broken my promise to myself. See, you know who knows whether you're honest more than anybody else? You do. I call it internal integrity. You make promises to yourself all the time that you don't keep. But you didn't tell anybody, so you didn't lie. But you lied to yourself. And so what you've done is you, we slowly undermine our own confidence in our own word. And I got a decision. It was just a clear-cut decision. Either I'm going to do this or I'm not. Oh, my body's screaming at me, giving me all kinds of excuses. You're tired. You've worked hard all day. You've just preached the word of God. You're a man of God. You don't need to do this. The floor is cold. It was a linoleum floor. It was cold. I'm in my pajamas. It's snowing outside. It's about 10 degrees. But I made myself get out of bed. And I shoved my feet in the boots. And I put pants on over my pajamas. And I put a coat on and I pulled a hat down. And I puffed and huffed outside, mad at myself, stomping my feet out there. I went in that car, turned the lights on, started the car, pulled that thing out, wrote that mileage down, shoved it back in there. I'm mad at myself. Gone back upstairs, got into bed, and I never forgot it again. 
often it just takes one watershed incident. From, see, my mind now knew that I meant it. Just like I knew my mother meant it about those lima beans. So this is where the battle is won and lost. This is where it's won and lost with anything you choose to change. Oh, there's an initial momentum because that's in the wishing to. It's when the cost comes. That's when we find out whether we will to do it or whether we just wanted to do it. And you'll know that when you're at that point. And that's why it's important for you to realize you're not your mind. So you can make your mind do what it doesn't want to do. So when your mind wants to just let thoughts pass by, because what we're going to learn how to do is to capture every thought. But you can't capture every thought if your mind's just running out of control. Okay. You have to make your mind serve you. Your mind will only get away with what you let it get away. See, we're not used to talking about our mind like this. Because just like when, when uh, Marilyn Neubauer was here and says, you're not your body. So if the doctor says, your body has this condition, you don't, your body has it. Well, in the same way, your mind's not you either. If your mind's out of control, you're not out of control. Your will can control your mind. In fact, it, it's doing it right now because it's letting it run whatever, and think whatever. It's just letting it do. It's letting the dog run loose. Letting the child run around out of control. But you've got to get it under control. You have to make your mind serve you. Remember, when you were saved, God put you back in the right order that He ordained. Where your spirit man, you, the real you, has the authority in you. But if you don't know your spirit man has the authority and you're, you can control your mind, your mind will control you. And most of the time when your mind is in control, it sides with your body. It'll side with your flesh. Oh, oh I, I just that, you know, I'll, I'll just have this one more piece today because I'll start tomorrow. I'll start the diet tomorrow. I'll start, you know, I'll get this under control tomorrow. That's my mind siding with my body against my spirit. But when you were saved, before you were saved, that control wasn't there. That power wasn't there. But when you get saved, literally the, the nature of God is in you to be in dominion. For you to be in dominion. Pastor Sam Smith had a, had a simple, simple way of graphically describing it this way. And those of you that knew him will understand this. He said, just grab yourself by the shirt collar and make yourself do it. Just make yourself do it. He had a simple philosophy of counseling it. Counseling. Admit it and quit it. That was it. Short session. Just admit it and quit it. That's it. Well, I need all the... Just quit it. Because most of the struggle is with my will. Deciding it. That's where the battles won or lost, is with your will. Remember I told you earlier, like the basketball example, with the center of gravity? You will not go where your will is not going. So the, it begins by having your will decide what you're going to do. And that's where it's won or lost. The battle's won or lost. That's why we're spending so much time on it. So make your mind serve you. It will get away with whatever you let it get away with. Okay. Next principle. Forget your failures. We're still talking about getting control of your mind. Understand, when you start out to control your mind, 
you will have failures. You will have lapses. In fact, when you start out, you'll have more lapses, more failures than you have successes. And if you don't understand this, you'll get discouraged. Say, I tried hard today. You know, come to the end of the day and say, I tried. I got it control once, but the rest of the day I kind of forgot. But count what you did right. We'll see that in a minute. Count what happened that was right. Don't realize you're going to fail. And when it happens, just don't, don't pay attention to it. And that leads into this next, next one. Whoops. Got to go down through all these again. I went the wrong direction. Now it's good to look at them again. Get control of your mind. It's a discipline. Come on. Decide to get into control. I really want to get to this next one. Okay, wishing is vague. Yep, I remember that one. To will, prepare to pay, the quiver call it. Yep. You are not your mind. And the last one, forget your failures. Now here's the next principle. We're now going to go to number three that fits in with that. Very important. What you pay attention to becomes larger in your mind. The more you think about something, the bigger it gets in your mind. Which is why I told you, forget your failures. When something goes wrong, the more you think about it, the bigger it gets in your mind. Remember years ago, I would, where we lived somewhere else, I would get up early in the morning and go out on a road to pray. Just to get quiet, it was very still early in the morning, quiet, and it was about, a, I've forgotten how long this road was. I had a path I walked up and back. And I spent probably the first 15 minutes or so every morning going over the things I'd done wrong the day before. The things I had committed to do to the Lord the day before that I didn't do right. And by the time I finished that, I had no confidence to pray. And I just kind of lose it at that point. Just, I lost my focus. And one day I was reading a, an old pamphlet book. And, and the, the language, Brother Hagen talked about, you know, he used to do that until he realized he sucked all the confidence out of him. And the Bible builds up our confidence to go before God. It's full of scriptures. Come boldly before a throne of grace, uh, Hebrews 4, uh, 16. Before, come boldly. Boldly means openly, with confidence, before the throne of grace to receive mercy and find help in time of need. Uh, in, over in chapter 10, it says, we have bold and confident access. In, in Ephesians 3, we have bold and confident access. Hebrews 10 tells us again, we are to come boldly into the presence of God. And, and so the Word of God says, no matter where you are, what you've done, we have an open access to come before the Father. But that's not how I felt, because all I did is talk about what I was doing wrong. The more you think about something, the bigger it becomes in your mind. Dieters, I don't know why I'm on dieters tonight, but it's something we're mostly familiar with. The more you think about how fat you are, whether you are or not, the, more, the harder it is to diet. The more you think about what you shouldn't be doing, the more you want to do it. So what do we think about? We think about the Lord. Hebrews chapter 12 tells us that we are to set aside those sins and the weights that so easily beset us and run with endurance the race that's set before us. So he's talking about getting rid of the things in our life that trip us up, that cause problems for us. And then in the next verse tells us how. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher 
of our faith. What you look at is what you'll imitate. God made us in such a way that we want to imitate something. We want to, we want to be like something. This is why we've got all this an entire major industry in this world based around stars, people in movies and television that everybody, I want to be like Mike. Now, but some of the younger people, you know who that is. I want to be like Mike Jordan. I want to be like Mike. What a mad, wonderful marketing campaign out there. Because it tapped into every young man's, young inner city man especially, desire to become important. And here's this man that they can look up to who became important. Be a great basketball star, wealthy beyond their imagine, wildest imagination. I want to be like him. We imitate who we look at. Paul said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. 1 Corinthians 11 says, this is the order in the family. It says that, it's not written in this order, but the son, the father is the head of the son, Christ. Christ is the head of of the husband, and the husband is the head of the wife. What that basically means is, as Christ reflects the father to the son, to, uh, to, to the son, the son, Jesus, reflects the father to the husband, and the husband is to reflect Christ to his wife. The idea is when you see the wife, you ought to see what the father's like, because that love has passed on down through that chain of command. That's what it means for the husband to be the head of the wife, not the boss. He's to reflect and represent Christ to his wife. That's why Ephesians 5 tells us that he's to lay his life down for his wife as Christ did for the church. And so, because there's a tendency, the more you look at someone, the more you want to be like them. So you've got to choose who you're looking at. The more you look at yourself, the more you'll stay stuck in yourself. That's why the devil's number one scheme you can take everything he does, all his plans and his schemes, and his, all of them have one basic root in them. He doesn't care how it happens as long as you keep looking at yourself. So what he did in the garden. He got them to take their eyes off of God and to look at themselves, and that's when they fell. And he wants you to keep looking, whether, he's look, whether you're looking at what you're doing right or you're looking at what you're doing wrong, whether you're looking at how successful you are or what a mess you are. He doesn't care as long as you're looking at yourself because you can't get out of it. It's like a car that's stuck in the mud, spinning its wheels. It just gets in deeper and deeper and deeper. You need some outside force to come along to hook up to you and pull you out of that mess. Looking unto Jesus. Looking unto Jesus. Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of your faith. So the more you... So you've got to catch yourself and ask yourself... What do I spend my time thinking? You spend your time thinking about your faults, then they're going to become bigger and bigger and harder and harder to overcome. But if you start thinking about the successes, that's why I said, if you go through a day and you slipped every other time but you made one, keep thinking about that one. Celebrate that one. Celebrate that one. Keep going back. Say, God, thank you. That's why being thankful is so important. Because being thankful takes your eyes off of you and puts your eyes on God and how good He's been. That's why praise is so important. It gets your eyes off of you and gets our eyes on the one who's our answer, the one who we keep our eyes on, because then we're more like Him. We have more confidence in Him. The more you look at yourself, the more you have confidence or lack of confidence in yourself. 
Okay. Don't look at what you're doing wrong. This is why so many people fail with disciplines like dieting or quitting smoking. They keep going back and beating themselves up. I failed again today. I fail again today. There's a little clue to you. God never uses the word again. Because if you've repented of something and you've forgiven you, He forgets about it. So there's no again. Again is when you do it to yourself. Again is when the devil does it to you. Okay. Uh, we're going to stop here. Because I got... Well, I'll quickly, I'll quickly give this to you. because The next thing is you cannot think more than one thought at a time. This is important. You cannot think more than... You, you can think very quickly thoughts, but you can't think more than one thought at a time. Very quick exercise. I want you to close your eyes. Promise me you won't go to sleep because we'll be out of here in a minute. All right? And what I'm going to have you do is when I say go, I'm going to have you begin to count down from 100, just in your mind, not out loud. All right? And when I clap my hands, I want you to speak your name. You, you do know that, don't you? Okay. So, understand that? When I say go, I want you to begin to count 199 in your mind. Don't say anything. And then when I clap my hands, I want you to speak your name out loud. Ready? Go. Some of you don't know your name. <laughs> we got a lot of work to do. <laughs> what happened to your counting? It stopped, didn't it? Because you can't be thinking numbers and speak your name at the same time. That becomes a very important tool in gaining control of your thoughts. Your thoughts will not get out of control if you choose to think the Word of God in that situation. And it can be a battle. But if you choose your thoughts when your mind's getting out of control, your mind can't think those two things at the same time. So we're going to learn to put thoughts in your mind that you're choosing to put in your mind that will stop those thoughts that are out of control.